Marvin Goldfried is a distinguished professor of psychology at Stony Brook University, where he helped develop the graduate program in clinical psychology. He's the co-founder of the Society for the Exploration of Psychotherapy Integration. Alan Francis is a professor of psychiatry and chair emeritus at Duke and was chair of the DSM-4 task force. Marvin describes the evolution of his psychotherapy orientation as psychodynamic, behavioral, CBT, and eventually integrative. He practices, teaches, and supervises what works clinically using direct and indirect evidence base. Alan describes his approach to psychotherapy as whatever works or no one size fits all. He was trained and taught at the Columbia University Psychoanalytic Center, but remains equally interested in brief, supportive, cognitive, behavioral, interpersonal, and family therapies. Please enjoy this week's episode. Good morning and welcome to Talking Therapy. I'm Marvin Goldfried, and my colleague is Alan Francis. Hi, Marvin. Hi. So we're going to continue what we did in our last podcast, okay, of uh, experience versus uh, cognition or thinking. And um, I don't know if you've gotten back on to Twitter yet, but I did a Twitter poll. Did you see that? No, I'm, I'm off Twitter because of Elon Musk. Yeah. Anyway, what Twitter, I did I hate, was... I love Twitter, but I hate Elon. And yeah, well, okay. So. Hopefully that'll get resolved one of these days. Not basically, what I uh, asked was, uh, given that increasing awareness is important for therapy, and given that corrective experiences that the patient has is important for change in therapy, if you had to pick one, which would you pick as most important? And the results, are you ready? The envelope, please. Three quarters said experience. And that's kind of, that's kind of interesting. You know, in a, in a previous podcast, I mentioned that I, I did another survey in 1980 of uh, therapists from different orientations like Hans Strupp and Lazarus and Merton Gill and, you know, representing across the board. And they said experience and experiencing something new was really the essence of therapeutic change. So that's kind of interesting um, when you get people from different theoretical approaches agreeing, then it says to me, there's a robust phenomenon. It's remarkable in a way how little this is translated into training programs that the, the concept in psychoanalysis was initiated in the forties by Franz Alexander, the corrective emotional experience. Yeah. But in my psychoanalytic training, it was never mentioned and people acted as if the interpretation was the important thing. That's right. Being the insight is what mattered. The discussion of how the insight would translate into changed behavior and changed emotional feelings was never discussed. Yeah. Well, you know, this is the meat and potatoes of CBT, particularly the b- b- behavioral component of that. And CBT people don't talk about experience, which is subjective. They talk about observable and procedural, which is exposure. But it's implicit in the exposure that something is going on experientially. It's just, it's an emphasis on objective versus what you could see versus what the patient 
is uh, is experiencing or feeling. One of the reasons why I, I like the concept of corrective emotional experience so much is that it it's probably the the best way of integrating different approaches to psychotherapy. That whether it's coming from intellectual understanding, insight, change behavior, uh, cathartic emotions that weren't previously expressed, that the, the common final pathway to change is going to be the patient experiencing something very different than they've experienced before, either in the therapy session or outside of the therapy session, or preferably both. Yeah. And every school of thought is just a means towards the same end of allowing the patient to experience things in a way different than they experienced them before. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. You know, although it hasn't been cited very much, we did some research study to show that when somebody does cognitive therapy for depression, and and we used actual transcripts of cognitive therapy for depression done by uh, uh, Steve Holland and other people, if the patient shows emotional experiencing during the session, and there's a scale for that, there's a greater likelihood that the therapy is successful. Interesting finding buried in the literature, um, but it really, you know, it, it just support empirically supports what we see uh, clinically as well. Marvin, does this awareness impact how you deal with first sessions and early early treatment contracts with patients? Awareness? In other mean? words, do you, do you try to set up the concept with the patient that part of your work together will be to allow them to experience things in a different way? I don't use that necessarily, using the term experiencing. But I do say you'll need to do things differently. You'll need to take risks. That's the same idea. Yeah, um, because I think subjectively that they can relate to what a risk is, but they may not be able to know what's meant by experiencing. I mean, the problem with the term experiencing, and again, it's my continual lament of language uh, describing therapy, is I think experiencing got a very bad uh, rap in the 70s during the human potential movement. That's true. Um, everything was experiencing. As long as you have a new experience, they would say, that's okay too. So people would be in a group and they'd be in the middle of the group and talking and spilling their guts. Um, and then the, nothing would be done with it. And the facilitator would say, well, that's okay too, as long as you have the experience. So the notion of experience for experiencing sake, um, I don't think goes anywhere. Well, that's a really great point. I think that the idea of just getting your feelings out and everything's going to be fine can, can often lead yeah. to uh, very bad experiences in therapy. Did I ever tell you my part in the expression experience uh, when I went to Esalen Institute? Go for this, it. This is, this is funny. It's hard it, for me to picture you at Esalen. It's hard to picture me? Yeah, were you in the hot tubs? Of course. <laughs> okay. Naked? You think I'd be in a hot tub with clothing on? <laughs> but here, but wait, there's more. There was the behavior therapy meeting in San Francisco. 
And I wanted to try out, seeing what was going on with this experiencing the SLN. So I packed my suitcase. It was a two-sided suitcase. One side was much smaller than the other. And that's, that was the Esalen side because clothing was optional in the 70s. And in the other side, and what I wore at the, co the conferences when I presented was a three-piece suit with a vest. Remember vests? <laughs> I finished that, changed my clothes after the meeting, flew down to Monterey and took a taxi from Monterey to Esalen. Got there and everybody was sitting on the floor and the leader was up front and they were just kind of like meditating and doing stuff. And it's like, I don't think I'm in Kansas anymore. This is so, so different. Uh, and it was very interesting. There was a lot of experiencing going on where people were very, very emotional and stuff came out, but then nothing was done with it. And then my own experience, and I had a peak experience. I was batting something on a, on a pillow and screaming and yelling and doing that kind of cathartic thing. And then when I was through, I was, I was exhausted. And everybody in the group picked me, well, not everybody, but a bunch of people picked me up, held me over their heads and took me out onto the balcony overlooking the Pacific. <laughs> that was an experience. It was a wonderful experience. The therapeutic value, nothing. Okay, well, I think, Marvin, you've touched on a really amazingly interesting and important point that I hadn't thought of before. But now I want you to try to explain the difference. So we're, we've been saying over and over again that the most essential part of psychotherapy is the corrective emotional experience. Right. You've just described a very intense peak experience. Yes. That had no impact. What's the difference between a corrective emotional experience in, a, in the context of an effective psychotherapy versus a intense peak experience in a new age kind of? Um, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the peak experience in the new age thing is, is kind of like a high, whether it's a drug high or a meditative high or, or something. Um, it's, it is an, an intense, positive, often positive experience. The corrective experience is therapeutically relevant. That is, um, I've never been able to talk to my partner this way, or I've never tried this out, or I would never do this. There's an expectation that if I did this, something terrible would happen. And because of the therapy relationship and the motivation to change and maybe even rehearsal within the session, the person finally does what they haven't done before. And the terrible thing that they anticipated didn't occur. It, but what's the difference, Marvin? Is it that the experience you have at Esalen or at any new age weekend retreat kind of, of deal doesn't generalize the rest of life? Yes, exactly. It doesn't because it may not be relevant to the rest of life. I mean, yeah, I can sit and look at the sky and clouds and, and feel good about it, but it's not going to help me if I'm having a problem in my life. It may temporarily make me feel good, but it's not, not quite the same. What, what's not the same? What does therapy do that's in addition? It changes my belief system. 
about something, a belief system, the meaning I ascribe to certain actions or people, it changes it in a way that makes my life more effective, my interactions more effective, let's say, if it's an interpersonal kind of thing. It produces change. Yeah, but the question is, what's the mechanism of that change? Are you saying that just having the feeling by itself without understanding it and without... No, no, it's not just having the feeling. It's recognizing that, gee, everything I thought... I've always thought that if I asked somebody or if I disagreed with somebody, that it would ruin the relationship. I always believed that. And you can trace that back to early learning experiences, observing... Um, breakups in relationships. So I always believe this was a kind of a core underlying interpersonal belief or schema, if you will. And it's not just an intellectual kind of thing. It's emotionally laden. So we we're talking about last time in our, in our podcast about the difference between intellectual uh, knowledge, you know, knowing with the head, knowing with the heart. So this is kind of knowing with the heart. Yes, realistically, I realize this so going through and taking the risk of doing what what one believes is going to be disastrous and it turns out not to be disastrous that is the change mechanism that is so, i believe the powerful it, change mechanism it very much fits in what we were saying last week that what makes us human is the combination of having thoughts about what's happening feelings about what's happening and related behaviors and right. if I hear you right, what you're saying is that your Esalon experience, as intense as it was, was just a feeling experience that didn't have a major long-term enduring and prevailing impact on how you saw yourself and saw the world on a cognitive level. Right. Didn't have a lasting impact on your behaviors and your personality style. Yes. The difference between therapy and cathartic, thrilling experiences is that therapy combines the feeling element with thoughts, change thoughts, and change behaviors. Very good summary. You should be a therapist. It was so nice. <laughs> <laughs> you well, know, you know what you're saying also fits in with with something that has been of great concern to me because there's a lot now about the effect of of psychedelic drugs. Yeah on, on uh, therapy and studies, very weak studies, very poorly controlled studies, demonstrating the impact of one or another uh, mind-altering substance um, on short-term uh, PTSD symptoms, short-term depressive symptoms. The studies are all flawed because there's no way of blinding people to whether they're getting the um, yeah. substance. And so the expectations, the placebo effect, expectation effect is much greater in the people who get the uh, the active the active drug. And yeah. the therapists know exactly what's going on. There's very little is blinded in the, in the treatments, and they get an enormous amount of, of attention and psychotherapy yeah. as well. But I'm wondering how much of what has been reported, and this is an area that's been hyped amazingly because there's a lot of money involved. The investors are pouring into opening up clinics charging a fortune for these treatments based on very little evidence. It's become a very exciting money-making endeavor for, for the uh, in investor types. But I'm wondering how much of the positive result, and it's not a very strongly positive result, but how much of the positive result in these treatments comes from that feeling of exaltation yeah. that, 
gives you a sense of catharsis and I can really be myself for a short period of time mm -hmm, mm -hmm. under the influence of the drug, but not necessarily integrating that into long-term patterns of thinking and patterns of behaving. Yeah. Yes. And, and, you know, really the issue here is a lot of stuff gets tried out because either it's available, um, one can earn money from it. Uh, one can enhance one's reputation. Uh, it'll do something. However, it, it comes from more from a technique or procedural level rather than the mechanism or process. You've got to start with the process of change and then bring in the techniques afterwards. So it's not just emotion for emotion's sake, but it's emotion in the way that, that you so elegantly described just a few minutes ago of how it links in to changing one's thinking, change, changing one's feeling. And, and, you know, there's a lot of confusion here with the notion of experience, um, not only because it's just a, a emotionality from the, uh, from the 70s that doesn't go anywhere, but, and now we're sliding into the topic of emotion. Emotion means different things to different people, depending on the school of thought. Experiential people and psychodynamic people, when they think of emotion, it's different when CBT people think of emotion. Give you an example. We did a study where we had um, master therapists send in what they believed to be significant sessions, which we had transcribed and coded. What we found for the CBT therapist versus the psychodynamic therapist who were interpersonal in orientation was in the significant session sent by CBT therapists, there was a drop in emotionality. They were able to do something to reduce emotion. Hmm. In the significant portion of the psychodynamic therapies by psychodynamic clinicians, the significant portion showed an increase in emotion. So psychodynamic therapists and CBT therapists think of emotion in different ways. One, something to get rid of, the other to advance. And this is a very, very important distinction. So some years ago, the NIMH had a weekend workshop where they brought a bunch of us together. Um, six CBT therapists and six experiential therapists to talk about the role of emotion. And what we found out is we meant different things. CBT people were thinking about symptoms to be reduced. And the experiential people were thinking about enhancing emotion to get its schemas, to get it unfulfilled needs. Yeah, and this brings up again, the what you've been working on for 40 years, integra integrating psychotherapy, that the worst therapists I've known have tended to be those who are very reductionistic and focus on just one aspect. So you have the arid, very intellectual psychoanalysts that give right. these fancy interpretations that have very little to do with flesh and blood life. You have these cognitive therapists who follow a manual and lose the patient because they're worried about what I'm supposed to do on page 46. You have way too intellectual therapists from different schools. You have some therapists that are sort of Esalen types, way too much focus just on get out the emotion, everything will work out fine if you get out the emotion. 
And you have some behavior therapists who just focus on people as if they're robots, worried about manipulating behavior without thinking about what the person is thinking or feeling. Really or, or getting them to say things to themselves without believing it. Yeah. The really good therapists are therapists who can think, feel, and behave at the same time and can encourage their patients to think, feel, and behave at the same time and try out from the patient's end new ways of thinking, feeling, and behaving, not just focusing on any one of those aspects. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing is Les Greenberg was at this NIMH meeting, and he's very, very gestalt and experientially oriented. And then he um, guest edited a session of a journal in session where he spoke about emotional experiencing. And the theme was sometimes you increase it and sometimes you decrease it, which is very, very different from the school of thought in experiential therapy or CBT which says, one says you increase it, one says you decrease it. So again, you know, this is your theme, follow the patient, not the theory. Yeah, and if the patient thinks too much, you want them to feel and behave more. If they feel too much, you want them to think more. If they just behave without emotion and without thinking, you want to add those two components. So I guess the Greek model of the golden mean is something we're constantly striving for in our own behaviors and to help encourage patients with. Well, and it's and it's more than the golden mean. It's it's the flexibility of doing one thing or another depending upon what's called for in the in the given case. Did did I tell you about that incident uh, in one of our podcasts about when I was doing a two chair with somebody, and he looked at me with disdain and he said, "I know this." Do you, you did say it again because everything he was said, he was essentially he, he he his problem was. I'm having being anxious about the opinion of others, and he he couldn't function. It was really very very impaired because he was worried about what others would think. So I did a two chair, and there was the critical chair, which said, you know, you got to be very very careful about pleasing other people. Don't let anybody disagree with you. And then he was supposed to put that into perspective when he switched chairs, and he was doing it, and then he looked at me with a look of disdain and said, I know this, I know, well, he said, I know this, parenthesis, you idiot. <laughs> and I had this horrible sinking feeling, but then I had a visual picture of the word no. And in my mind's eye, it was blue and underlined. And I clicked on it. And I said, there are two ways, and I thought two ways of knowing. He knows it intellectually, not emotionally. So I've got to enhance the emotional interaction in the two-chair technique. And there are techniques for doing that. And after about another 10, 15 minutes of doing it, he turned to me and he says, I think I get it. I know, now I know what you mean. You know, it's the nice thing that happens in, in each of these podcasts is that as we get towards the end, for reasons I don't begin to understand, there's always an idea that pops up that could serve as next week's topic. Yeah, it occurred to me in your in your telling that vignette that maybe we should discuss next time. What does intuition mean, and how important is therapist intuition in doing therapy? Okay, well, we touched on that in a previous podcast. I don't think it went over well, so maybe we should enhance on that and extend that. 
It's something I haven't thought of much, and that's why I'd like to get your views on it. What, is it, what does intuition mean? I mean, we won't do it now because I think it requires its No, own, it requires some thought. And, and like in, in the vignette, you, you had an intuition that the word no would be the... No, no, I did not have an intuition, no. I remember the distinction between knowing with the head, knowing with the heart, what we spoke about in our last podcast, the work of John Teasdale, the emotionality, the the implicational meaning versus the propositional meaning. No, what I what I clued but, into. But you but you seized on that term. You yes. intuited somehow that that would be the key. Well, it was I. It was that I don't know if that was intuition. I took the the term. No, this is where I see one of our basic differences. I think intuition is like crucial. And you see things more in a logical way. Okay. Well, I respect your right well, to be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay, let's think about what we do next next week. This is a good possibility, but I do think we're coming toward the end. And um, so this is good. See you next week, Marvin. Take care. Stay safe. Bye-bye.